Hello everyone, welcome back to La Poyera del Congo. My name is Ayala Watson and I'm here to introduce my honors thesis in the psychology department at Clark University. For my senior year, I have decided to conclude my studies by accumulating all of the knowledge and the experience that I've gotten at Clark University um, and putting it all into this final project in which I titled The Liberation of Afro-Latinx College Women from Traditional Beauty Standard. What I want this to look like is that along with my 20 to 25 page literature review, I will be detailing and also sharing the data and the process of conducting research at an undergraduate level throughout five episodes of this sub-segment of the greater podcast. I have decided to contribute the podcast within my honors thesis for many reasons. One reason is that I created the podcast to share my passion and my concern for Afro-Latinx, Afro-Caribbean, Black, Latina women and femme folks in general. When I got the opportunity to do that in a way that will be taken as research, I wanted to make sure that that information that I find and that I conclude with will be accessible to those that it is supposed to serve. Through my lens as a first-gen student, I have found that a lot of the research in general throughout different fields becomes very inaccessible to folks who the information was made for. For example, not only is sometimes the language very inaccessible, so a lot of times I'll find myself reading an article that is very well known within the academic field and I won't understand anything because it's not in terminology that I understand, right? And me being already in higher ed, I could already imagine how much more difficult it may be to folks that are not in these spaces learning the same things that I am. I also find it very interesting that to, I mean, I I experienced this a lot within this research project that a lot of the information that I needed I would have had to pay for access if it wasn't for my being already enrolled into a higher ed institution. So along with the 25 page literature review that I will be submitting, I will also be submitting five episodes that will be encompassing not only the journey and what it was like for me to go and be a researcher, but also talk about the data, uh, the analysis process, and the actual analyses of the data, the conclusion, and then the implications. So what did I find out from these interviews? What type of themes came up? And what I think that we should do about the information that I collected. I will start this episode by giving a layout of what the next five episodes would look like specifically. So for this, the remainder of this episode, I will be giving a bit of background um, of the literature, but also of the, my personal reasons why I wanted to pursue this project. The second episode will basically be, um, if anyone remembers what it was like to be at a science fair during like high school or middle school, 
there was like a materials and procedure section right so that would basically be the second episode i would talk about the different materials that i had to uh, round up the proposals that i had to write the systems that i had to go through in order to get my project approved and then what it was like to recruit the participants um to meet them to kind of walk them through the process of getting their consent the third episode i will be getting into the actual data that the college-aged women uh, the afro-latinx women shared with me um, so i will be playing clips of the interviews that i had with them i will be introducing the difference between a qualitative study and a quantitative study and why i decided to take that route um, and then we will actually hear the anecdotes and the stories of these women and how they perceived beauty standard but also how they were liberated if they were liberated um, at any point in time or are on the journey to be being liberated from these beauty standards and from the overall system of anti-blackness that will probably take i'm assuming maybe episode three and four and then finally we will go into the you know cultural practices that uphold these uh, systems we'll talk about the implications of the study so where this information should be used and applied um, to mitigate the different issues that we come across now i will go into why i found it important to specifically focus on afro latinx women and why i found it important to study beauty standards and self-esteem the aim of this study is to explore the following question how do afro-latinx college women liberate themselves from eurocentric beauty standards the purpose is to understand how the dynamic between latinx cultures and expectations of being a black woman interact with the american american standards of feminine beauty the study overall introduces a liberation lens that touches on how afro-latinx women have independently challenged these norms yet are still facing mental health strain the literature on mental health illnesses that are based off of beauty standards and the strain of me meeting beauty standards began to examine the detrimental causes of mental illnesses such as body dysmorphia anorexia bulimia but by studying white women as time has progressed um, the literature has widened its range in focusing on women of color such as Chicana women, African-American women, Asian-American women, Indian women, so on and so forth. However, without a growing network of the importance of an intersectional lens, there is a gap of the literature that lacks the understanding of the Afro-Latinx experience. There is a very complex identity that we have touched upon in other episodes of the podcast of what it means to be Afro-Latinx, Afro-Caribbean, coming from the culturally diverse background and most likely being first or second generation immigrants in this country, but also being met with blatant and systemic anti-Blackness and racism. I will start by reading a quote from the book As Black As Resistance by Zoe Samuzzi and William Anderson. I want to read this quote because it heavily ties in the framework in which I approach this entire project, which is by 
grounding it on the lens of liberating all black folk of the diaspora from anti-blackness and racist structures that plague our day-to-day lives. So the quote says, this system was not designed for us. It was built on top of us. Our destruction is built into it, but our liberation can be built from its downfall. To me, that quote is very important and it sets the stage for basically my entire honors thesis because I find it that there isn't much of a voice for the intersection of Afro-Latinx women and how their liberation as Black women specifically is greatly, greatly tied to current movements that should be happening and are happening, but at more silenced rates in Latin American countries than they are um, towards liberation in the United States. In the same book, they give a example of how Black women specifically were commodified and treated like animals during chattel slavery. The type of damage that these images and these experiences the way they transferred through generations but also damaged the psyche and the body of black women is still very prominent show up every day today what i got from the quote that i just shared was that to feel worthy of liberation we must focus on the holistic view of the individual and how the individual perceives themselves Oftentimes, um, in my day-to-day activism and organizing, I come in contact with a lot of Black folks and Latinx folks and folks of color that, due to personal experiences, due to self-preservation, due to a survival mindset, they have internalized racism so heavily that they are either too afraid or simply not educated enough or encouraged enough or empowered enough to seek the liberation that we should all be seeking um, as a community, as a race, as a culture. And a lot of the times it is ironic that the deniers of movements such as the Black Lives Matter movement, the Civil Rights Movement, the Me Too movement, a lot of the deniers of the movements that are meant to liberate us are folks of our own community. One can also look at the histories in which non-Black Latinx folks have been treated within the United States, as well as how the erasure of the African populations that were forcefully brought to Latin American and Caribbean countries has been established amongst the Latinx community throughout history. So starting with the U.S., in 1848, when Mexican folks began to migrate further north into the Americas and into what was being established as the United States, the European colonizers at that time wanted to create a hierarchy, right? Because at that moment, there were the Europeans, the white Americans, right? The enslaved Africans and the indigenous American people. So with Mexican folks coming in, speaking a different language, but also looking a lot different than anyone else who was a part of the system at the time, the Europeans being the colonizers and the ones who made the decisions in that society decided to 
create the second class citizen, right? So they weren't fully whites, but they also were not at the bottom of the tier, which were the indigenous and the black folks. Throughout time, that construct became constant amongst non-black Latinos that also migrated to the United States. In the book, Manifest Destinies, The Making of the Mexican-American Race by Laura Gomez, we see this relationship pan out where it began with the Mexicans and the creation of the Mexican-American race and how it, over time, became a portrayal of the non-black citizen in Latin American countries, there was already a separation happening. You would have the indigenous population, the mulattoes or mestizos, los indios, los negros, y los blancos, right? Indios would come to be the mixture of the black population with the indigenous population. Mestizos would become the mixture of the indigenous population with the white population. Los mulatos would be the black population with the white population. And then you would have the three in which each population stemmed from. So a lot of these relations um, started to erase their black heritage. Uh, if we take examples of different political powers, uh, whether in Cuba or in the Dominican Republic, where leaders, government leaders, political leaders, would publicly erase their black traits. So if you go to the Dominican Republic, you would see political leaders who were black, but now are being portrayed in their statues with phenotypically European features. Or in photos, black leaders or mulatto, mestizo leaders would use makeup to make themselves lighter, right? The proximity, the closer the proximity that they had to whiteness, the more powerful they portrayed themselves to be. This notion of supremacy to inferiority of white and black translated into a lot of the ways in which they were portrayed in the media and in film, which then gives access to other folks to continue that and to keep that, that form of oppression alive. So, for example, in a lot of westernized film, we see women like... Jennifer Lopez, Sofia Vergara, Eva Longoria, that characters are portrayed as, you know, very similar archetypes of what a Latinx woman should look like. For example, in a 1990 study that was looking at these archetypes and gave them names, there were a few that really stuck out to me, but also there were a few that were highlighted by uh, the woman in the study that I interviewed. So the researcher defined these female characters as either the Latin lover, the half-breed Harlow, the female clown, and the dark lady. I want to focus on two specific themes. One, of course, is the Latin lover. 
So when you look at the Latinx women that I mentioned, they have certain characteristics in common. They are both women of fuller bodies. They um, can have the Spanish accent if needed, or they have it naturally. They are of lighter skin. They have the straight hair, the wavy hair, the dark hair, and would not be perceived as black women because they may not be. They may be non-black Latinx women. So with these features that they share, they are easily put in this box as characters of the Latin lover. So you hear a lot of people describe them as fierce, spicy, sexy, really just a way of fetishizing and demeaning the body and the likeness of non-black Latina women. The other archetype that I want to highlight is the dark lady. So this lady, following the same physical features and appearance, her demeanor is different, is perceived different. So she is the mysterious, um, she's into brujeria or witch magic, sorcery, and she's mostly seen as this villain. She's villainized. What a lot of folks may not understand or connect is that that dark magic that a lot of Latinx characters portray is deeply rooted in the actual spirituality and religion that are within these Latinx countries, but mostly practiced by their Black or African population. Not only is this a way of appropriation, but it is also demeaning um, to keep women in a specific box. One female character that we see a lot of Latinx women play that was not highlighted within in depth within this article was that of the cleaning lady, right? So the previous examples are seen a lot in American film and are portrayed by the women that I mentioned or women who look like the women that I mentioned. This following archetype is also portrayed in both Latin American media, but also in American media, but differently. This is what I mean. So the cleaning lady in American media um, is usually portrayed by the working class, period, right? So whatever the United States portrays as the poor, the working class, that is who we see usually portray the cleaning lady. So whether that is stemming from the mammy archetype that was brought forth through the way black women were treated as slaves and were brought within the household to raise the children. It could also be portrayed by an older Latinx woman. There could be jokes made about that minoritized group only being a custodian or a cleaning person because that is the only occupation that they're good for. Things like that. We see this often in American media. In Latin America, we see this archetype, the cleaning lady, um, the cook. But since we're all Latinx, they portray the darker toned or the black Latinx populations within these roles. Similar 
oppressive structure at the same time similar folks are affected but for different reasons that falls under a lot of folks that are black darker skinned or indigenous so while i hope that historical background was a bit helpful i do want to tie back to my study so to remind y'all i'm looking at the liberation of afro-latinx college women from traditional beauty standards and you may at this point ask what does any of this have to do with beauty standards well a lot of beauty standards come from how we see ourselves in what we consume right so it may not be media all the time but in this day and age it is mostly media but also in what other people tell us right so for a lot of african-american women black women the earlier examples had a lot to do with how we have been dehumanized brutalized minimized to um the meaning most meaningless part of society which of course we are not but those are the type of messaging those are the types of messages that we receive on a day-to-day basis specifically black women in this context now if we look at latinx women the later examples that i gave those are the type of messages that we're getting right we're fetishized sexualized always used to someone else's expense put into categories But now, if we try to put it into the context of an Afro-Latinx young woman, we will see that these two paths cross somewhere where the messaging of, you know, understanding and being self-aware of your history as a Black woman, whether in a Latinx country, Caribbean country, or in the United States, heavily impacts what you look like and how you are perceived and is then worsened by the implications of chattel slavery within the United States and how those implications have still carried on to how black women and black girls are treated, perceived, and oppressed today. So what I want to look at is how are Afro-Latinx women, how are these black women, these Latinx women challenging those perceptions? How are they challenging and liberating themselves, choosing to become who they are become more than what the environment what society is telling them that they are reduced to be so with all that being said i am going to conclude this episode i hope you all gain knowledge if not i hope you all feel for the information that i was able to put together throughout this project Hopefully by the end of this series, I will have a definitive place where you can read the literature review that goes along with the podcast and see a lot of the information that I did or didn't say in writing. It is only in English. My hope in the future is to get it translated into Spanish one day, but that is in due time. So thank you everyone for listening to this first episode of the mini series. I hope y'all enjoy the episodes that are to come. Bye!